Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chick lit that made us who we are. Today, we're having a very special kitchen table broadcast with author and longtime friend of the podcast, Ella Risbridger, on her new anthology of poetry, Set Me on Fire, a poem for every feeling. Hi, Ella. Hi, Pal. Hi. Um, as everyone can hear, again, kitchen table broadcast, which means we get to have Sylv walking around the place. She just Hope. wants to be involved. <laughs> and so she'll be perfectly quiet for like an hour, sitting in a little you know, little circle by herself and then just sounds all the time as soon as the microphone goes on. But um, Ella, I get like a email probably every day from a publicist who um, has is asking me to break the format of this podcast for their client. It's like, hi, um, I know you're all about just, you know, other people's books, but my client would like to come on and talk about her book. And I'm like, go fuck yourself, publicist. Listen to the damn podcast. However, I am breaking format today for a very special reason, which is that this book is dedicated to me. I was going to say, those publicists are really missing a trick. <laughs> yeah, what you get is, you get the author to publicate, to dedicate it to me, and then, um, yeah, and you, then spend, you get what you want. You spend nearly a decade formulating a careful and deep bond forever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, after that, it's easy. So get your author to come over, and then in 10 years, you can be in the podcast. Perfect, yeah. Guys, I'm going to lock up the dog. I'm going to put the dog in another room and see how that does, okay? Why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? Okay. Third time lucky. Third time lucky. And we're back. So as we mentioned a minute ago, before the dog got involved, uh, this book (laughs) is dedicated to not only, but me. So I think it's dedicated to you, as I say, for apart from the obvious reason that you're my dear friend and I love you very much, for two reasons. It's sort of dedicated to you as a stand-in for all the people who hate a thing that their best friend loves and mm-hmm. all the people who love a thing that their best friend hates. And this is the one essential tension in their relationship. Yeah. Because I think everyone's been there, right? Is that you're like, I, I love this. I love the art. I love the films yeah. of a, a director. I don't know any directors. I don't know anything about anything except poetry <laughs> and also snacks. Um, no, yeah, it is that thing of like, I love you so much. We're so simpatico on so many different things in our life. Wow, How simpatico. <laughs> For some reason, I've been using it a lot more lately. I think I've just been reading a lot of, like, 80s and literature. It's because like you read writers. I think it's because I read writers, yeah. And simpatico is a word you'd find in there. Um, yeah, we're so al- if you're so aligned with one person on so many different things, down to a spooky level. And then just, like, this one thing where you're like, nope, don't do it, can't have it, won't have it. And for me, th- I think that was also me being, like, 22 and also wanting to annoy you. Being like, no, yeah. it's all bollocks, I hate it all. So it was partly... Here's to how to irritate my best friend. And it was partly, and I think I shared this with a lot of people who came to Poetry Late or never come to it at all, which is that um, it, it I associated too much with academic failure. And I think that's the main thing with people, right? Yeah, because I think so. 
and yeah, it's, and that's a lot to do with how poetry is taught, but it also has a lot to do with um, memory. And for me, like I've now, I've now sort of come to the conclusion that like, oh, I wasn't like a dumb kid. I just don't. I just need a, I need to. My memory doesn't work in that I can't just memorize things that people tell me to memorize. Like everything in my brain will just be like, nope. And for me, poetry was one of those things that people would just ask you to memorize and never give you a good reason to do it. And I would always fail at that. And there would always be this thing of like, well, I love language. I love stories. I love writing. I love English class. But then poetry comes up and just this cloud is like, oh, they're going to ask me to memorize a load of crap. I mean, I also hated poetry in school. There are poems I know are good. I know they must be good. Because I can see that with my, like, kind of my intellectual mind I'm like ah yeah I can see this is a good poem and I just remember sitting in an English lesson thinking they're going to make me underline all the similes yes they're going to make me write out what a simile is and I don't care yes and that's it 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 becomes the sort of like um poetry in English becomes in English classes rather it becomes like a sandbox for things we do in the English language symbols metaphors similes like it, it becomes really um What's the word for it? Formulaic, I suppose. Yes, yes. And it's taught in such a way, I think, partly because of the poems we choose. I think, I I don't want to tread on the toes of anyone in the national curriculum, but certainly the national curriculum, as I remember it, was full of poems that I felt, even as a child, were extremely (laughs) patronising. Poems written for children to demonstrate what a simile was, etc. You know those kind of poems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could, I could always feel like you've written this poem so that we will be able to write similar poems in class. Oh, very. And that, they will yes. all go on a wall. Ah, your poem's about a caterpillar. We're all going to have to write them about different bugs now. I bet, and that will be a tedious two hours. <laughs> and then it will be playtime, and we will be allowed out. Yeah. And at secondary school, I just hated it. I hated it always. I always hated being taught about poetry. Mm. And I, I guess it's one reason that I am glad it's me doing this book and not maybe someone who loved English at school mm. and loved, I guess, that academic approach to literature. Yeah. Which like I choosing really... a poem like a, a gibcana, basically, where you're like, ah, yes! if you jump all these things, then you get the rosette at the end, as opposed to appreciating it as a piece of language. Yes, and I have very little interest in poem as gibcana. Yeah. Oh, what a great little metaphor. Again, a writers. Metaphor. <laughs> a metaphor. <laughs> a metaphor is when you say a thing is like another thing, and a simile is a form of metaphor. It makes me want to die. Sure. But then, slowly, at, over the course of our friendship, you started, like, seeding to me, like, just sending me links to things and being like, this is, maybe you like this, and, like, tweeting things. And and it was almost always, like, quite funny, quite acerbic, quite strange, generally by women, um, generally written in the last sort of 30 or 40 years, which, again, was not kind of poetry that I would come up against. Do you know what I mean? Generally, yeah. you think poem, you think... Sylvia Plath or before. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like the, the, the newest poem in the world is uh, by Sylvia Plath. Is how you think growing up, right? Yes. And she's a woman and she's dead. And she's she actually a- killed herself because of being a woman. So uh, I think you should get a clue because that's what women write about. They write yeah. about being dead. They don't write about is. jokes or relationships or 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 just or friendship or Telly. eating or you know what I mean? There's, you, I think you have single-handedly taught me the sort of the fun and wit and like pleasure of poetry. And I th- I'm really excited for you to do that for other people too. I hope so. It's, it feels like quite a big task at this point. Yeah. Can I teach the world to sing? <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I will try. I will try, mostly because I love it so much. It is such an endless source of, without wanting to sound like a born-again Christian, a joy and comfort in my life. And I really yeah. hope that together we can give you that too. Um, there's no way of talking about this. In a, no, there's no way of talking about anything you love without sounding a bit like a born-again Christian. Yeah, it's very true. Because it's so important to me, and I wish to convey this to everyone in a way that feels not preachy, yeah, but also that does, in fact, impress on everyone that it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and like I, I remember, and I think you actually include this in the foreword of this book, where we were one of our first conversations about poetry, and at the time I was in a band, so I was writing a lot of songs, and I was just saying to you, I was like, it's just songs without music, and you were like, exactly! And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the afterword. Um, yeah, and it was such a total... It's like, it's songs, Caroline. Yeah, you don't like, need the music. We were like talking past each other. I was like, you need the music. And you were like, you don't even need the music. <laughs> it's, yeah. And, um, and I think what, what I really want to do today when we talk about some of our favourite poems in this collection, yeah. because I don't want to talk around poetry too much. Let's just like get into the fucking poems, you know? Oh yeah. Perfect. There's, there's too much talking around poems in general, I think. Um, but I nodded. I, you can't see that on the podcast. <laughs> but, I forgot that. But this bitch nods. <laughs> this bitch nods. I'm nodding right now. Um, is I would love for people to talk about poems, and particularly the poems like the ones in this book, the way they talk about songs that they've heard on the radio, but and they want to know if the other person has heard it. It's like you know the one, and the chorus is like da and then the bridge is like and like you know they should talk about yes, it that way. Yes, you know? and I think for me this was part of the reason why it was so important to me. That you personally should like poetry. Yeah. And Tash, your friend of mine, Tash Hodgson, my flatmate, it was very important to me that Tash should also understand poetry. And in fact, that everyone I hang out with should understand poetry so that I could be like, oh my God, there is a really great one yeah. and you will love it. And it has a really good joke about teeth in the middle. Right. And jokes, right? Just jokes and, you know, we actually were talking about this yesterday and like what a poem, what it really is, just an extended private joke, isn't it? A poem is an extended private joke. Yeah. Taken too far. Always taken too far. Always taken too far. There's a really great Hero Lindsay Bird line, which I'm about to mangle because I haven't got a copy of the book here. But it's something like, um, if there is a point when how far becomes too far, I am always beyond it. Oh, that's very good. I love that line. I've mangled it. Look it up. It's in her book, Hero Lindsay Bird by Hero Lindsay Bird, which is a great title. Which... Here Lindsay Bird by Here Lindsay Bird. Um, again, someone who had never independently bought a collection of poetry before. I have bought three copies of that book and given two away. You know, that's how... It's that kind of book. That's, you know, it's one of those things, yeah. I'm just thinking about it now. Just thinking exactly. about it. It's over there in the bookshelf. Um, you've actually included one of her books, her poems here. I have. I, it was a real struggle. So I had this rule that I could only include one poem by a poet. Yeah. I broke it once for a poet called Emily Berry. Who we're about to read in a minute. Who we're about to read in a minute. Fantastic. Yeah. Because she is so funny. And because one poem had to go in for kind of thematic reasons, which is a poem called Bad New Government. And one poem is the poem of my true heart. And when I read it, I feel like I am being personally attacked for all of my worst and most lovable characteristics. And this is why we're going to start the podcast. Our first poem of this podcast. Thank you. I love to be this one. Yes. Our Love Could Spoil Dinner by Emily Berry. We always breakfast with the biographer. On day one, I showed him my grapefruit spoon. It has a serrated edge. My father gave him a Montblanc fountain pen as a welcome gift, but I think he was more impressed by the spoon. 
<laughs> it's almost like a knife, he said. The biographer is a coffee nut, and I use this fact to bond with him. <laughs> oh, robuster, I say dramatically when I know he's listening. You inferior bean. When we pass in the hall, I fling my arm back and say things like, Am I strung out or what? And time for another caffeine fix, methinks. I am not allowed coffee because of my nerves, but the biographer does not know this. Sometimes we sit up in bed comparing moans. Mine are always the loudest. The biographers are hampered by his boarding school education and the British flair for embarrassment. Sometimes the publishers call. When he gets on the phone, he sweats. Afterwards, the right side of his face is damp. I like to monitor these subtle changes. Last night, my father found us touching legs. Go to your room, he shouted. You shabby daughter. (laughs) You worthless excuse for a story, the biographer added. They played cards to settle a debt. That day, my mouth felt wetter than usual. I asked the biographer to check. He used his tongue. This may affect the results, he said. Uh, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Okay, so what I love about this one is that it's sort of, to me, this takes place in a sort of like adolescent fantasy world that's sort of like half Shirley Jackson, half the Royal Tenenbaums kind of thing. Yes, yes, totally. And it's like, even in your own magnificent melodramatic fantasy, you're still a failure. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You're still hopelessly yourself. It's like, you know, when you, um, when women have to sort of imagine their husbands are dead in order to masturbate. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no? Is that a thing? It's so a thing. Um, wow. Okay, we're going to get into that off, <laughs> off air. Um, yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, that, it's like that saying about like, wherever you go, you take yourself with you. And yeah. it's like, I use poetry so much in Escape. And so much of Emily Berry's is this like weird escapey thing for me. Yeah. I find so much escape in Emily Berry's poems. Like, there's the sea and there's these, she has characters who do stuff. Well, this is that you need a lot more. we're not going to get deep into Emily Berry here mm-hmm. but she has characters who do stuff it's really interesting this one I fall in and I'm so embarrassed for myself oh so embarrassed for myself because it's so because it, it, it oh, and I oh. speak speak <laughs> it's that thing of of um uh, having sex for the first time as a, as a late teenager, like 16, 17, 18 or whatever, and sort of falling in love with the vision of yourself as someone's lover, but still owning a school uniform, you know? Yeah, and I think like an actual school school uniform rather than like a sexy school uniform. No, it's a lumpy jumper, horrible skirt. And having to wear it and having to like, people be like, is that nail varnish? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just me. I, I just love this poem because... I love to feel personally attacked. And so my flatmate we were talking about earlier quite frequently says to me, am I strung out or what? When she thinks I'm being particularly bad at this poem. I mean, yeah, it's just such a good story. I feel this fantasy so perfectly. I want to live in it. But also, it's that thing we were just saying about how even in the fantasy it's like you're still a nerd in the fantasy you know you can not allowed you, you can create this like wonderful world where like a biographer comes to your house or whatever and it's all so kind of gothic and dramatic but you're still you <laughs> you shabby daughter you shabby daughter so who do you think the biographer is in terms of like who's he there to see because the first time I read it I thought it was her biographer and then no, I thought it was the, the father's father. biographer 
And I then, think he's there to see the father. Like in my head, in yeah, my head, yeah, in my head, he's, he's the father's biography. It's yeah, like yeah. It, it, she's the ward, you know. Like obviously she's the daughter, but like she's the only daughter of the house. I mean, this is getting real deep into my psyche here, which like, is imagining people as the ward of a house. I'm always imagining myself as the ward of a house. Sure. That's just it's it's an important place to yeah the you know the ward who like ah two summers ago she was but a cultish thing and now she's matured into a voluptuous beauty I feel like I'm everyone to everyone sees themselves this way you know what I mean everyone again I read writers recently and everyone wants to have that Fenella Maxwell fantasy of like oh she'll be a beauty in a year's time but now she's just like knobbly knees and then you just come through a fucking velvet curtain you're like it's a me Fenella. <laughs> But I think this is just before that. Just just before that. Just yeah. before that. But also, I'm not allowed coffee because of my nerves, but the biographer doesn't know this. He knows. He Everyone knows. knows. You talk about it all the time, Ella. I mean, obviously, this is not a poem about me, but it is a poem about me. I feel about this poem the way I felt when I was a teenager and I would like, hear an album and I'd be like, this was written for me. Yeah. And I would know in my brain. Yeah. Probably it wasn't. But I'd be like, how could they know such beautiful, specific things about my own tender heart, which is the most original heart in the world? I feel about this poem the way you feel about someone famous. Like you're someone famous you have a crush on when you're 14. And yes. you're like, he's going to marry me. I don't know how it's going to happen. But, but I, I am... know this to be true. I know it with such great certainty. I know that I could take certain steps. Yeah. To, to be married to this famous musician. Yeah, yeah. And it's also that thing of like, not even fantasizing about it's a bit like that same thing that goes into fancying the ugliest boy band member do you know what I mean yes you know how they always say how Ringo got the most fan mail because everyone thought he was the most gettable kind of thing oh my god Apparently, that's devastating that, that I know, perfect right and it's, that's how I felt though but fancying the biographer and not the rock star do you know what I mean like, yes it's, yes totally yeah like oh it's so good and I think it's that thing of I can do this. I can have sex with a biographer. I can have sex. Right. And also, there's so much... It's weird because I know that both you and I are imagining the same setting. The same sort of big English house kind of thing. Kind of rolling gardens, sort of brother of the more famous Jack type of falling down. That's what I'm imagining with like lots of wings and a guest wing and stuff. I think mine's grander than brother of the more famous Jack. Okay, but we're still imagining a similar thing. And yet nowhere does any of this get stated. It's just inferred by things like serrated grapefruit spoon. Right, so this is... There's so so much space. In this book... In this book that I have written, or not written, you know, I've composed. Composed. What a great word. In this book that I have composed, I have put in a bunch of footnotes and like small scrawlings in the margin. And they're not all addressed to Caroline, but in my head, most of them are addressed to Caroline on the basis. But you always say this about whenever you start writing a book that you always address it to a very specific person. And yes, everything yes, is I to do. that person, which is a very interesting method of, of directing your work. I think it's just down to being quite talkative. Yeah. I really write books because nobody could cope with me talking. No, exactly. Yeah. And therefore, if I just address a book to someone, that's 80,000 words. That makes a lot of sense. And then I don't have a proper job. As someone who is talked at by you a lot, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It goes both ways, Caroline. (laughs) Goes bloody both ways. It does go bloody both ways. Um, Anyway, the footnote for this one is about... The fact that I have a rich imagination around this poem. Yeah. And none of it's in the text. Yes! You just fill it in. Mine mine has like that, those checkerboard marble floors. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I can feel like the banister. 
And then I, when I was writing, and like about a stuffed it, bear covered in mothballs, kind of thing. Well, but when I was going to write about this poem, I was like happily typing away my little note about this poem about the heavy banisters mm-hmm. and like the way she puts her arm on the banister and like twirls around it. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Just doesn't happen. I just filled in. It's one of those real, like a false memory, but for a yes. poem. I feel like I know this poem. This is like a small snapshot of an elaborate dream world that I know very well. Yeah. But I can't justify that at all. I can't justify any of my feelings about this poem. Oh, it's so bloody good. It's just so fun as well. Thank you. Nothing this good should be this fun. Do you know what I mean? It's like candy floss that's good for you, you know? <laughs> you shabby daughter. <laughs> You shabby daughter! (laughs) Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Next one I'm going to do is, which we've already mentioned, Monica by Hira Lindsay Bird. How much of it are you going to read? It's- well, it's a long one, so I'm just going to stop when it feels natural, basically. It's eight pages, this one, so... Mm, we're not We're not going to do that. No, no one needs that. All right, Monica by Hira Lindsay Bird. Monica, 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 Monica. Monica Geller of popular sitcom Friends <laughs> is one of the worst characters in the history of television. She makes me want to wash my hands with hand sanitizer. She makes me want to stand in an abandoned Ukrainian parking lot and scream her name at a bunch of dead crows. Nobody liked her, except for Chandler. He married her. And that brings me to my second point. What kind of name for a show was Friends when two of them were related and the rest of them just fucked for ten seasons? <laughs> Maybe their fucking was secondary to their friendship or they all had enough emotional equilibrium to be able to maintain a constant state of mutual respect despite the fucking or conspicuous non-fucking that was occurring in their lives. But I have to say... It doesn't seem emotionally realistic, especially considering that they were not the most self-aware, self-aware of people, and to be able to maintain a friendship through the various complications of heterosexual <laughs> through the various complications of heterosexual monogamy is enormously difficult, especially when you take into consideration what cunts they all were. I fell in love with a friend once, and we like to congratulate each other over what good friends we were and how it was great that we could be such good friends and still fuck until we stopped fucking and then we weren't such good friends anymore. I had a dream the other night about this friend and how we were walking through sunlight many years ago, dragged up from the vaults like old military propaganda. You know the kind, young women leaving a factory arm in arm while their fiancés are being handsomely shot to death in Prague. And even though this friend doesn't love me anymore, and I don't love them, at least not in a romantic sense, the memory of what it had been like to not want to strap concrete blocks to my head and drown myself in a public fountain rather than spend another day with them not talking to me came back and I remembered the world for a moment as it had been 
when we had just met and love seemed possible. I'm going to stop there because it's such a long poem. It's but I think that book. gives you it gives you a sense of what the poem is, which is you know it's 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 a poem about friends, <laughs> but it's also a poem about falling in love. A poem about it's a poem about. I mean, it really is eight pages. It's eight pages. With very detailed notes about friends. It's not just like, oh, she's... It's not as if she's like, oh, she's going to use Monica Geller as like this opening conceit and then she's going to go off into this thing about military propaganda. She comes back to friends a lot. She talks about specifics, particularly about Monica Geller's parents who weren't very nice to her. Um, I mean... I'm just going to read another bit of it because it's really good. Um... Often I look at the world and I am dumbfounded that anyone can function at all given the kind of violence that so many people have inherited from the past. But that's still no excuse to throw a dinner plate at your friends during a quiet game of Pictionary and even if that was an isolated incident and she was able to move on from it, it still doesn't make me want to watch her on TV. I am falling in love and I don't know what to do about it. Throw me in a haunted wheelbarrow and set me on fire and don't even get me started on Ross. (sighs) Oh, it's so great. I mean, I named the book after it. You can see that from the way it's called Set Me on Fire. And this is Throw Me in a Haunted Wheelbarrow and Set Me on Fire. A perfect sentence. A perfect, perfect sentence. Throw me in a haunted wheelbarrow and set me on fire. That's exactly what it's like falling in love with someone. That's exactly what it's like meeting Uh, someone. I hate it. I hate it. It's so interesting, the two poems we've chosen, because it's like, um, the, the Emily Berry one is like, playing at love and playing at the melodrama of love when you haven't earned that melodrama yet whereas Monica is about that sort of like oh god I'm 33 and I'm falling in love again and I know exactly how this goes and exactly how it ends it's just that I believe it's that although I believe there are ways that love could endure it's just that statistically or based on personal experience it is unlikely that things are going to go well for long it kills me this poem this fucking poem it murders me It's so, it's everything. It's that thing of, if I just don't talk about what I am feeling here, I will manage to shut up about this for 30 fucking seconds and therefore it will go away. If we just don't talk about these feelings. Yeah. Another poem that I feel constantly personally skewered by. But it's just so, and I, it is very easy, I think, for, what, for want of a better word, I want to kind of call the poetry establishment to be like, yeah, it's a poem about friends. Friends is a stupid American TV show. Mm-hmm. And to mix high and low culture in this way is really disgraceful. Not that I've ever heard anyone say that, but that's what I imagine. No, but there is a snittishness to talking about pop culture in high art, I think. in, in a po- which And poetry is supposed to be the reserve of, it's the winner's circle of art, right? You know? Yes. It's, it's high art. It's meant to be... And I think that's part of my deep problem with a lot of poetry is it's meant to be high art. It's meant to be something... Uh, rarefied I guess Mm. whereas for me poetry is very small and happens all the time I am this is a bit of a tangent but obsessed with e.g. see it say it sorted because I'm like it's a poem it's a poem that happens every day and they decided that it had to be a poem to make people listen Mm. and there's poetry in friends and there's poetry in everything because poetry is just people poetry is just a good joke and this is a very good joke this poem is and it's so it's so unbelievably skillful the way it goes from like talking about friends a thing that we all know to like going into this like repeated very jarring soviet imagery that she keeps coming back to 
Like even the like, you know, strapping um, cement blocks to my head and drowning me in a fountain kind of thing and uh, handsomely shot to death in Prague and like... It's Screaming like, your name at a field of crows. Ukrainian yes. park. Ukrainian, Ukrainian park. Like, it keeps coming back to this very grey Soviet block thing and it's so interesting and it doesn't... Because it's like, it's it's got this thing where it's like, it's taking the sort of like, the shiny colourfulness of American sitcom and we're also familiar with with the kind of... And what love should look like and what friendship should look like and then the austere reality of what it is, you know? It's just horrible. It's just horrible. <laughs> um, but also, I love that it takes friends seriously. This is not a poem that's like, ah, oh, friends, a television show we all used to watch. Mm-hmm. It's like, friends, a thing that I care about passionately. I am yelling at my Uber driver, a man who does not know what the characters of friends are. She asks him and he says, I used to read the whole poem because I'm going to reference it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on page 90 of my new book, available in all good bookstores. <laughs> uh, and on the internet, I should say, for yeah, people sure. who are listening to podcasts and are probably not in Waterstones right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I asked him what character he liked best of Friends, he said, the woman. The Uber driver does not care He does not want to talk about Friends, meaning she brought Friends up. <laughs> right? She starts this poem. She's in an Uber. Just start on a conversation about friends. I mean, talking to an Uber driver is a very lonely thing to do. Yeah. I do it a lot. Yeah, you can talk to an Uber driver for Not reason. about friends. No, you don't just bring up a long dead sitcom unless you're truly bothered by it. Unless you're truly bothered by the idea of having 22 minutes in a cab alone thinking about how you might be in love with someone. Yeah. That is very you like, go. what do you think your favourite character from Friends is, driver? <laughs> is it... There are more than one woman. You're not playing. You're not taking this you're not seriously. Taking seriously. Could you take this more seriously, please? Because if you don't, I will have to be quiet, and then I will have to think about about the house I just left, or I'm just going to. I'm falling in love, and I don't know what to do about it. No one knows what to do about it. That's what's so awful. Oh no! Will I text them? Will they text me back? Probably not. Will I die? Probably. I mean, definitely at some point. But oh my god, it's ghastly. Oh my god. And that thing of like. I used to have a friend. We used to congratulate ourselves for how, what good friends we were until we stopped fucking and then we weren't such good friends. It's like, oh, everyone's early 20s. Like, pretty much everyone's early 20s. Devastating, really. It's devastating. And um, what do you think of the... Like, what makes this a poem and not a blog post? Oh, what an interesting question. Yeah. Because I remember this got quite, um, I mean, internet famous in a way, because it was often reposted on famous American blogs like The Toast, not The Toast, but things like The Toast or The Hairpin or whatever, that was like, you know, funny American women being sort of arch about their relationships. What makes this a poem and not a blog? So, Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson? No. Yeah, Emily Dickinson. The dead lonely lady. Emily Dickinson, inside girl, Emily Dickinson. Famous yeah. inside girl, Emily Indoors Dickinson. chick. <laughs> Indoors chick, Emily Backhand Dickinson. Backhand lover. I think it was her. If not, Emily Dickinson, I think, famously said she knew something was a poem if, when she read it, she felt cold all over and, like, the top of her head had come off. Yeah. And I think it's a bit like that very famous definition of pornography, is that you know it when you see it. Yes. Yeah. Like, if you don't think this is a poem... I am very sorry for you because mm-hmm. it's a fantastic poem. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm not going to be able to convince you. If you're like, oh, yeah. is it just that it's got line breaks? That's well, that's part of it. But mm-hmm. also, it's a poem because when I read it, it makes me feel cold and a bit sick. And I just want to lie on the ground thinking about being in love or not being in love. Yeah. And also, Monica, it, Monica, Monica Gallup. 
it's that mixture of like feeling so full and fed and like oh this is so mm, it's like a good stew but also like I feel barren and empty and like the stew is gonna go through a hole in my back you know <laughs> ah poetry ah poetry 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 yes I think that's it is that a lot of people think things are poems that aren't I don't think are poems such as I'm not gonna name them because they're poets who do good stuff um I think a lot of things I have seen in poetry anthologies and in the poetry world, I'm like, this is not a poem for me. I read it and I feel nothing. Mm-hmm. These are just some words yeah. ca- arranged into sentences. Mm-hmm. This I read and I feel very ill and sad and also full, but the stew has gone through the hole in my back. <laughs> I will never truly why, be warm why can't again. You talk about, it's impossible to talk about poems without coming up with insane things to say because it's so hard to, to describe how it makes you feel. I think for me, the reason we're using quite so many metaphors and the reason I, I mean, I always use a lot of mixed metaphors. Mm-hmm, I really find mm-hmm. it very difficult. To our our life is just composing mixed metaphors together. But the best then, game. A thing is like another thing. A thing is like another thing. Similes. <laughs> but one of the reasons I like to talk about poetry in a way that feels, feels like the way I talk about anything else, mm-hmm. i.e. making up very stupid metaphors or trying to think of it is like when the stew goes through a hole in your back. It's a dumb metaphor and we shouldn't have come up with it. It's bad. <laughs> but I want poetry to be to feel part of the everyday in a way that I think historically it hasn't. Mm. I want it to feel like it belongs in my life. And I do feel like it belongs in my life in the same way as any other experience. Yeah. Any, you know, cooking or walking or talking to people or going for a drink or kissing someone. It feels like it belongs in those categories, right? And so to talk about it in a way that is more rarefied, Mm. I guess, frightens me a bit because I think you're getting closer and closer to a kind of academic take on poetry, which... Which is a form of ring fencing, kind of. Yeah, and I'm sure it has worth for some people. It has no worth for me, personally. Picking apart a poem, except in this way, where we sit at your kitchen table and go, oh my God, oh my God. And she just, at the bit where she says, yeah. Phoebe gave birth to her brother's triplets. It's so sassy, but also like, Phoebe is everyone's favourite, but also Monica. Monica, 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 yeah. Monica. Monica Geller. And I was also hate, that thing where you hating the characters that you know are the most like yourself thing that everyone can relate to as well. And, oh, oh my God, yes. so I very mean, good. That's why I hate Monica. That isn't why I hate Monica. I don't hate Monica. I don't hate anyone except myself. <laughs> in terms of falling in love, and, you know. And different shades of myself. I see reflected in other people. Oh. oh, God. I could talk about this all day, which is why we're going to move on to Mr. Darcy by Victoria Chang. Which, um, so I, this is one of the poems where, most of these poems, when I was sticking through this book, I was like, oh, it was, it was kind of like a scrapbook of the last eight years together of like oh I remember where I was when Ella showed me this kind of thing one of my main criteria for picking poems for this book was how do I think Caroline would feel about it I know but it was useful to have you in mind as a kind of test reader essentially and if I thought a poem was more difficult or less likely to be not more difficult exactly but more more tricky more something that you would be like Ella I've only got 10 minutes. I have many things to do. This is boring and I am bored. Which... Yeah. Which... Hit me. Hit you, yeah. yeah. Just like, I don't get it and uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Um, which is why there's a, a minimum of, 
uh, poems about nature in this, which uh, I appreciated. You get very bored about nature. I fucking hate talking about nature. I love talking about nature. <laughs> which is a real shame because I'm best friends with nature girl. He just wants to stop all the time to look at a fucking thrush. This is a super old fight. We have this fight nearly every day every when we day. go for a walk. I say, Caroline, look at this blade of grass. I think it's very interesting. And she says, fuck off. <laughs> Not a blade of grass. Usually it's like a good bird. Or yes, a view. good bird. And I'm just like, oh, you're just doing a thing. You're just just trying to be like top girl, like finding a five pointed leaf. Like, miss, miss. I'm like, fuck off, you little nature brown noser. I don't know why I assign so much hatred to this trait. But, <laughs> but truly, I love it. <laughs> but anyway, this poem was actually one I didn't, I, you hadn't shown me before. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. And then I looked at the footnote. And, I, and it, in the footnote was literally like, this poem is so much more fun when you read it out loud. And I read it out loud in the safety of my bedroom. And then I just like laughed and read it again. And it was oh, the nicest experience. This makes me very happy. This is exactly why I put these footnotes in. Yeah. Right. Because for better or for worse, I have absorbed quite a lot of knowledge about poetry mm-hmm. and how to read poetry and what poems are supposed to feel like. And not everyone has that because most people had a life where they went outside instead of just being... A small loser reading poetry on yeah. the internet for years. So? I go outside sometimes now. <laughs> uh, Mr. Darcy by Victoria Chang. In the end, she just wanted the house and a horse, not much more. What if he didn't own the house or worse, not even a horse? How do we separate the things from a man, the man from the things? Is a man still the same without his reins? Here it rains every 15 minutes. It would be foolish to marry a man without an umbrella. Did Cinderella really love the prince? Or just the prince on the curtains in the ballroom? Once I went window shopping, but I didn't want a window. When do you know it's time to get a new man? One who can win more things at the fair? I already have four stuffed pandas from the fair. I won fair and square. Is it time to be less square, to wear something more revealing in north and south? She does the dealing, gives him the money in the end, but she falls in love with him when he has the money, when he is still running away. If the water is running in the other room, is it wrong for me to not want to chase it because it owns nothing else? When I wave to a man I love, what happens when another man with a lot more bags waves back? (laughs) Oh, I love this one so much because it feels like what if rap but also Jane Austen like it feels like a lyric sheet for a rap doesn't it yeah and it's just like that constant like sort of twisting on the word all the time from rains to rains and you know because you when you texted me about this to say you'd read it for the first time Mm. and you said it feels like Jay-Z it does feel it feels like old school Jay-Z like you know and I I loved getting a load of texts from you about this poem you're really getting people are really getting an insight into our texting life which is yeah. I loved getting texts from you about a poem um, <laughs> because I felt like it was a really good test case for this book was mm. this poem that you had not read before where I had put like a very small bit of guidance at the bottom like mm. read it out you'll like it more yeah and then you were saying all these things that I had never thought of like it's Jay-Z meets Jane Austen it's like this Jay-Z track you should listen to this yeah like it's just, I find it very fun. I find it very fun to, to be that free with language, to be, ah, oh, meanings are flexible, you know? Yeah. What's that? What things sound the same? Yeah, and it, it feels like, um, it feels like a parlour game or something, you know? Which is so interesting, given that it's this kind of Austin-y world yeah. of take a word and spin it and give yeah. it to the next person. Yeah, and I don't know, I, it's like, and it, but it's also kind of, oddly cynical you know it's sort of like joyous and bouncy but it's also like 
this it's like it's like a kind of a carousel spinning round and around of like okay we like acquiring men and then binning them and acquiring them and binning them and like what can we get from people and like basically tearing down or exposing really what those Jane Austen books were which is just like how can we survive financially by just pinning ourselves to men over and over again yes you know? I think a carousel is a really good image for this and it's not what I thought but now I can kind of, they match up really neatly right like mm. Round and round the horses go, and you're trying to get the horses and winning things at the fair. Yeah, yeah. And you've got these four four stuffed pandas from the fair. I won fair and square. It's fun, but it's the only way to have fun. It's the only game in town. I think it's very rare to find a small, like a small bit of art that holds up a kind of mirror to something you already know and yeah. bounces it back in a new light. Yeah. I feel differently about Pride and Prejudice having read this poem. I think it pulls out things that were kind of. Not necessarily hidden to me. I think I was aware of the kind of cynicism and the funniness. You know, people are always talking about Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. It's it's like, it's the most... Uh, yeah, that's amazing, the skill of the bomb. It's the most talked-to-death subject in town. And yet the fact that I can still see new shadows cast on the wall as this poem shines on it. Do you know what I mean? Yes, totally. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. Like, the idea of being able to shine new light on... Um, <laughs> the idea of being able to shine new light on on Jane Austen at this point I know come on come on we've all talked about it if you've read it you've read it if you haven't you're not going to <laughs> it would be foolish to marry a man without an umbrella did Cinderella really love the prince or just the prince on the curtain in the ballroom once I went window shopping but I didn't want a window it's kind of it's sort of ridiculous and actually um, I mean it's it's, it's funny because there's a lot of internal rhyme but no like what's the, what's the opposite of an internal rhyme you know I don't know the word for it this is a, was a really interesting thing about writing footnotes to this book is realising quite how much me not ever really paying attention in an English lesson. Yeah. Not quite damaged me, but I don't know the words for stuff. Same. I often find this, but people, um, people often think with writers that we care much more about grammar than we do. Right? And, yeah. and, and like literary terms for things. And like, I, people often say to me that like, oh, oh God, sorry, my, my grammar is all over the place if they're showing me a piece of their writing or whatever. Like, oh, I'm not a writer. And it's like, I don't, who gives a fuck? Do you know what I mean? The, um, and like, like, yeah, knowing the difference between the three different theirs, that's pretty important. But like, the difference between less than or fewer, I'm like, whatever sounds nice in the sentence in that paragraph. That's it. Fuck I off. think I'm more of a pedant than you in that I know, I think probably I have cared more about grammar rules yeah. throughout my life. But I still don't care in a piece of writing. I care about the sound of it before. I care about the sound and I care about the sense mm-hmm. much more than I care about the actual... The correctness. The correctness. Things. I mean, I think people get bogged down when they're talking about poetry in the correctness. Mm. I remember you saying really early on that you didn't know how to read a poem and that, that you didn't ha- know how to get the secret meaning. Do you mm. remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. You were talking about how you felt like poetry was written in a secret language mm. and that you had to decode it. And I was like, no, you don't. You just take it exactly as it... Yeah, but that's how it's presented though it is it's presented at school and I remember I've just had this vivid memory we all had to have these anthologies at school yeah and like underlining bits very carefully in like different colours of fine liner or whatever Mm. and just being like this means this This or or even those kind of I remember in the poetry anthology in ours it'd be like um, let's say it's a Seamus Heaney poem or whatever and uh, it'll be like underline uh, 
river like this refers to the river near Seamus Heaney's house that like on one side of it Protestants lived and the other side Catholics lived or whatever and you'd be like why the fuck was I meant to know that I'm 10 you know what I mean (laughs) totally totally I find it like not to keep bringing it back to Hero Lindsay Bird but there's an amazing line in one of her poems I particularly love about I want to take you to the river that runs behind my house but there is no river behind my house oh I love that one yeah and I think maybe that's why, for me, that Hero Lindsay Bird book felt so refreshing and important. And I, one of the reasons I give it to people who I think might be like on the tipping point of getting mm. big into poems. Yeah. Because it's so... Uh, uh, to quote her again, once upon a time I felt a little bit like, huh. <laughs> and then I felt a little more like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally it's, written down in one of her poems. It's so I mean, good. yeah, there's a lot of ellipses in there that I couldn't convey with my voice. But yeah. I think also that's something really fun about these poems. So I tried really hard in this book to choose written poems rather than performance poems transcribed. Mm-hmm. Because I am not very good at performance poetry. I'm not very good at like picking it apart, the nuance. Mm. For me, it feels more like music. And I'm, I like music. I like it fine, guys. But... I don't understand it. Mm. And I didn't feel at all confident in saying, yeah. this is how the p- poem is performed. For example, someone like Holly McNish, mm. who I can totally appreciate what she's doing, but I don't know how or why. I don't know how yeah, it you, comes together. Yeah. So the poetry I love, the modern poetry I love particularly, and in fact, in this collection, the poems from, for want of a better word, the past. Yeah. For me, they're very text, textual poems. Like, this poem actually feels more read out loud mm. than quite a lot of the other ones in this collection. I don't know, I was just thinking about punctuation. And yeah, the Mr. Jassy one. Yeah. Yeah. I am very bad at, as I say, at performance poetry and I find hearing poetry read aloud except when it's by yeah. people I already really trust. Did you find that a struggle? Because obviously there's a, in some, like, it's in some cultures, like, spoken word poetry is much bigger than others. So you have to, like, yeah. that must have been difficult. It was really hard. It was, just, I mean, I think without wanting to get too far into the kind of huge diversity thing that was a real driving force behind this book. Mm-hmm. So without wanting to kind of get into it, as probably everyone who's been anywhere near me for the last month knows, there is a huge problem with diversity in anthologies. You know, you can turn over 40 pages before you find a woman. You could turn over mm-hmm. 90 pages before you find a person who isn't white. It is... It's genuinely staggering. I was looking at one the other day and... There were maybe four four poets who weren't white in it. Wow. Oh, yeah. And this came out in the 2000s. Like, this mm. is not an old... Do you think that has a lot to do with, um, with, first of all, lack of originality, and second of all, cheapness? Because lots of poems that are in the public... Um, yes. What's the word for it? Public domain? Um, are free. Are by white by men. The dead whites. Uh, the precious yes. dead whites. <laughs> I think that's exactly why. And I think... I think as an anthology compiler... And, and, for, and third of all, straight racism. Straight racism. And... So I think the problem is kind of that as an anthology compiler, you're really working with what you've got and that tends to be poems in other anthologies. Mm-hmm. So it's a self-perpetuating cycle right. in that there are so many poems by white men and then there are a reasonable amount of poems by white women and then quite a lot below. Yeah. There start to be poems by people who aren't white. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think 
poetry is having such a moment it is now because I mean it's, it's quite boring to talk about it, but we talk about so much about how social media and the internet has ruined so many things but the one thing that it seems to be really causing a kind of a renaissance is the wrong word because these poets have always been there but they're 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 coming to the top easier now because they're being retweeted and blogged about and and uh, yeah it gives uh, people a voice and there's some yeah there are so many unbelievable poets in this collection I would never have come across without the internet. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did was read a lot of tumblers, which sounds yeah ridiculous, but it felt like the only way to break that cycle of I'm in the poetry library and I'm surrounded by dead white men and yeah. some living white women. Every time you go to the poetry, anthology, the poetry library, you come back borderline on the verge of a nervous breakdown because you're like how am I gonna fix poetry how am I gonna fix it all guys and one thing I did have to try and keep in mind and I'm still trying to keep in mind um at the time of recording this book is out tomorrow morning and I am extremely trying to keep in mind the fact that I'm not expected to fix the whole problem all at once and in fact I can't like as in your corner of the puzzle yeah I mean it isn't even really my place to fix it all at once um but what I can do and what I want to do with this anthology is to get more diverse voices, younger and more exciting voices into places where they might otherwise have just bought an anthology that was mostly full of Yeats and Morden mm. and please don't And then and sort of, and sort of just had it on the coffee table and occasionally looked at it and gone like, mm, not for me, you know? Yeah. I want this to feel like being on fire. I want it to feel like you can't get warm. I want it to feel like the top of your head's come off. I want it to feel like the stew is coming through your back. <laughs> Very proud of that one. <laughs> All right. Last poem of the day. Um, I'm actually really proud of this because Franny Choi was somebody I knew about before I um, met you. Which is like the one, the one living poet I knew about before I met you. Was she? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I had seen, um, I had seen her for some reason. I was, I was going through that phase everyone goes through in their twenties of listening to a lot of TED talks and thinking uh-huh. that would be the answer. And she had done some kind of TEDx. She had done a performance of her poem, uh, Pop Goes Korea. And I loved it. And I went into a whole thing with her. And then I kind of forgot about her. And then I met you and we started talking about her again. Um, but this book, this one is called Solitude by Franny Choi. <clears throat> I hope no one comes to my party, I said out loud, and meant it. In the email, I tried to sound too busy to care. Like, I'm having too much sex to waste time on proper punctuation, pretending it's not the other way around. Laura convinced me to jump into the Narragansett Bay on my birthday, February. There's no good word for the opposite of fire, the ice is sear and split, how it beckons the blood toward what means to end it. Oh God, I gasped over and over, as we stumbled through the snow back to the car, me and my burning legs. Now that's my kind of intimacy. Faceless, salty. No wondering how my jokes are going over, just running straight toward warmth as my skin bursts open in shock. I think that might be my favourite poem of all time. It's perfect. It's so perfect. I've said that a lot this podcast. But that's it. That's the feeling. Love it. That's the feeling of being alive, is your skin bursting open in shock. And if you don't feel like that, read more poems. Just the way it begins with... I mean, I feel very skewered by this. Like, if Emily Berry is you, then Franny Choi is me. That thing, like, I don't know, like, having too much sex to waste time on proper punctuation, pretending it's not the other way around. Like, I am that gal who says something flip at a party that she practiced on the way over there, you know? (laughs) And then then it just, like, ends in this... It's such a short poem, but it ends in this place of just, like, oh, God, I'm just, like, an animal who's, like, feral, and I just want to be this way forever, you know? Ugh. 
I love you. I love you for making me know this poem. Um, yeah, I think this is your poem in terms of... I think what's interesting about this poem, and one reason it makes me think this is you when I read it, is that thing of having to be convinced that you want to be in the icy water up to your eyes burning. <laughs> I... Because she starts off like, it's like it's quite a domestic thing. Like, I'm in the email, my party, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. And it's like, but there is like a weird urge in you that can be compelled. Yeah. I am now in the ice. <laughs> my skin I literally go open. swimming in the Atlantic in February. I have done that. <laughs> but You know, it's like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like, but there's a, like a thing in you that just like needs, like for me, you always seem a little bit split between like, but I've made it so nice. I'm writing an email. I'm having a party. <laughs> I'm having sex and I care about punctuation. <laughs> but secretly your heart is like, should we do it? Should we jump into the ice? Yeah, should we just throw this vase out the car window? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of the other things about poetry. And I don't know if Caroline's going to cut this. She might, because I was just revealing about her secret personality. And she might hate that. But the thing about poetry is that you can hold it up to your people and be like, look at you. <laughs> look at you. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's like a meme. It's like it's like a picture of a cat having a bad day and sending it to your friend and being like, it's you. <laughs> I send so many people poems. I think some of them think I am weird because I send them poems like, haha, it you. But I, I know my true friends because they reply with, yes. Or, oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. One of my favourite experiences of poetry was sending a friend a poem by Heather Crystal without context or title and the friend thinking that I had written it about them. <gasps> It was extremely good. I felt very like I have matched. Oh, the very matchmaking good. Has come. <laughs> very, very good. Did you? Did, did Hella write this? No, no. It's Heather Crystal, a genius. <laughs> um, well, that that just proves that you are extremely good at picking poems, and all the best ones in the world are in this book. All the best ones in the world I could afford. <laughs> there are some poems. There are limitations I, on everything. <laughs> I mean, this was a really interesting thing about making this anthology. Was Really good poems are expensive, which I guess makes sense. You wouldn't expect the best art of anything else in the world to come reasonably cheaply. But I kind of did with poems, because as a person who has sold some poems, you don't usually get very much for them, and no one really seems to value them. But I tried very hard. All the best poems that were within my price range some of them, are included. Some of them were very expensive, and I put them in anyway because of my feelings. I'm so glad you did. Um, so this, am I. This book is in, in all good bookshops and some bad bookshops. Uh, and online. Yeah, on the normal places. If you're boycotting Amazon, it's on Waterstones. Hooray. I don't know if it's out in America because I don't know the right situation. I probably should. Please buy it because uh, it was really hard to do. And I'm really proud of it. And I feel a bit sick when I look at it, which, as discussed, is the point of poetry. I mean, yeah. For, like you have. I mean, I've watched you compose this book for a long time now. And for a book that, like you've written maybe 15% of the words in, you have worked very, very, very hard on. It is a huge feat getting an anthology together. I just thought it was like Googling a few bits and putting them together, but no. No, it was a lot of lying on the kitchen floor surrounded by papers. That day we went to see Pokemon, the Pikachu detect- Detective yes. Pikachu. I had spent something like seven hours lying flat on the kitchen floor just going, this will never work. There will never be a book. I understand that it's too late for me to back out because I have taken their money and signed their contract. But I can't do it. And I did do it. You Amazing. Did. So everyone Here go it is. buy it now. Go buy it. Okay, I think we have to stop now. We have to stop now. Thank you. Grab some Tina. Yes. Bye.
This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.